David, welcome to Coffee with Pros. Happy to have you here. Hi, Doug. I'm glad to be here. I know you and I talked about this potential talk show, podcast. I don't I don't really remember the conversation over sushi back in 2019. Can you believe it was that long ago? Yeah. Honestly. And here we are. I was telling you earlier, the dreams do come true. Yeah, you know? they do. It's crazy. Yeah. No, I'm excited to have you here as our guest. Thank you. And today we'll be talking about the buyer's agent and contingencies. Ooh those fun things yeah so tell me a little bit more about meridian property management and yourself um well i'm a licensed real estate broker i've been licensed since 2009 and meridian is a company that my parents founded in 1988 uh, out of my parents front bedroom it became an office later in life and my parents my dad specifically you know was really successful at it and he left his job at saint joe's hospital where he and my mom met they were both nurses um because he got tired of seeing things, you know, like death and blood. And so it's like, what else can I do? And so they started that business. And it was hard at first. Sure. I remember as a child seeing them struggle and we were not wealthy. We were rather poor. Um, but seeing him throughout the years, and I didn't really know this until I got older, about how he was a success, how he succeeded, how he made it to where he got, it was really inspiring. So he told me when I graduated college in 2007 that he wanted to sell his business. And I thought, okay, cool, sounds good. And he goes, unless you have interest in it. I thought to myself, I never never gave it a thought, honestly, but it's been a part of our life for forever, and it's familiar. So he said to me, why don't you come work for me for a year? Because at that point, I didn't have any prospects. I didn't know what I wanted to do. Sure. I changed majors and in, you know, um, in college so often that I was like, what am I, I going to do? I wanted to be an attorney. I wanted to be a pediatrician. I wanted to be a broadcaster you know, at one <laughs> point in time. It was on USD television. And so I thought, okay, let's give it a year. It's a year. No big deal. And so I actually found it to be a really good fit for me. Number one, it was familiar. And number two, I enjoyed the aspect of, of, of what it all entails, which is people, right? you know? And I'm a people person. So I liked it for a year, got licensed, and, and went from there. My dad kind of showed me the ropes. And about, uh, I started in 2007, got licensed in 2009. About the 2011 mark, he goes, why don't you go work for somebody else? I thought, really, why? give money to other people that we're making and he's like you need another education you need to learn something different that maybe I can't teach you so I went to work for Coldwell Banker down in Huntington Beach off Beach Boulevard and I liked it I succeeded really well my first year I sold seven homes which was at the time and unbeknownst to me kind of what people didn't do so I was kind of maybe an anomaly I took every opportunity to, to, to get in there I sat at the up desk which is back in the day people would call the office from as they saw in the newspaper. Mm -hmm. And I want to see this house, I want to see that home. I had to take every opportunity to sign up for the up desk. And um, yeah, I took it from there. And I think I re retired from Coldwell Banker in 2014 because I realized I got what I wanted out of it. I earned my education because um, they took a certain percentage out of the money that you made. And I thought, well, I think I've done enough to make my own money now. And yeah. so <laughs> they gave me a good foundation. And I came back to Meridian and kind of went from there. And it's through meeting people like yourself that I've been successful. And one of the biggest things I really enjoy about my job is working with buyers and first-time home buyers more specifically, only because this is an opportunity to educate people. Right. It's an opportunity to show them what, what they didn't know in a good way and hopefully make the experience nice. Um, and I often get to work with people I've never met, people who are friends and family, and, and, and all at the end works out. I've met so many people that have become more like friends now throughout the process because it was something that is enjoyable and not everything is going to be enjoyable 
you have your ups and your downs. Um, But in the end of the day, you know, it's all about resolutions. It's all about communication. It's all about working with your buyers to make sure they're getting the the best bang for their buck, so to speak, as well as the people who are selling them the product. You know, they're also getting what they want out of the deal. Pivoting. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So Great. Uh, So here we are, the buyer's agent. So I know you and I have have had many, many discussions regarding the first-time home buyers or Mm -hmm. buyers in general thinking that they will be getting a better deal if they just – walk into an open house and ask the listing agent to represent them on the sale as well. Mm -hmm. And we all know that California, I think, is one of the only states that allows dual agency. I think it's one of, like, only two or three, Okay, honestly. And I know... There's a reason for that, though, There is, yeah. (laughs) And, you know, you have to be an ethical person, like you said, to walk the line and, you know, truly split yourself Yes. Because you have an allegiance to the seller and to the buyer as well. But who's mm-hmm. to say that certain agents don't have an allegiance to their pocket? Yeah. And yes. <laughs> At the end of the day, I often find in my experience, and not every time, right. that I'm surprised when I see that. And I just, I'm a little bit shocked because I don't operate that way. You know what Correct. I mean? My pocketbook doesn't lead my doings in real estate. I think that my head and my heart do it. And, and I've always found that if you create relationships and do that well, yeah. you don't have to worry about your pocketbook. It'll take care of itself. Exactly. I agree 100%. And I, I like to give the buyer's advice. Basically, I, I keep it simple. I ask them, hey, if you were, if someone sued you, would you use the plaintiff's attorney? Probably not. Yeah. You'd go find counsel elsewhere. Uh-huh. Same thing applies when you go buy a home. It's highly encouraged for you to use a buyer's agent it's truly a seller's agent, <laughs> yeah. But uh, textbook, textbook, yeah. The listing uh, selling agent, buyer's agent selling, yeah. All that yeah. Stuff. So, but we'll keep it easy, simple, simple. Uh, so, I always recommend for the buyers to use a buyer's agent mm-hmm. to help them negotiate, and they will find out that there's contingencies in place. Oh yeah. So let's talk about those. All the things that you don't know when you begin the process. Yeah. So the three major ones, I think, are the only ones you have. The inspection, mm-hmm. the appraisal, yes. and the loan, right? I know there's minor. Those are the three biggest ones you have right. to worry about. Once a uh, buyer decides they found a home they want to make an offer on, they've never seen the contract before. So you walk them through that process. Then you present the offer on their behalf, and you go back and forth with this seller's agent, the listing agent of the property, and you kind of come to terms. And you make tweaks in between here and there about ups or downs, more money, less money, even negotiating not money terms, you know, time frames. Um, Furniture, I mean, whatever you want. But once you get to that point, you have to first get together with your lender and make sure that he knows that you've bought the home, give him the contract, line up the appraisal. After the appraisal is getting going, get your inspections done. You want to inspect the property, too, to make sure it lives up to your expectations. You're not going to walk into something that you didn't know was existing, hopefully, to the best of any inspector's ability. Um, and then the loan contingency, you know, all that's kind of running in the background while this is going on too. There's so many moving parts to this puzzle, um, and you have to meet those too. So, and there's they're they're timed. The contracts in California are already specifically written um, for certain time periods in mind. And part of the negotiations, as of late, and that of course might change depending on how the market goes. People were whittling down those days to give themselves less time to accomplish more to give them a bigger edge yeah that that's we we saw that in late 2020 uh-huh. all of 
2021 yeah. and I think the early part of 2022. Exactly. We were seeing, I know I know we had a couple of buyers ourselves and we were seeing. Together we did. And yeah. they gave up, gave up, they gave up the appraisals, which you and I never advise. The home inspections. The home inspections, which is a crazy one to me. And even loans. Some, uh -huh. some people even. Some people did that too. And they wrote off everything in order to get the home of their dreams. And in most cases, I think that the buyers I've worked with have been really happy. Yeah, knock on wood, everything was, uh, we're, we're, I think. <laughs> we, we always yeah. came out, yeah. you know, heads over tail. I mean, yeah, we, we always closed. We did always close, which is the best. Some part. of them were stressful, but we made sure we closed. Mm -hmm. uh, the contingencies. No. Yeah, right. So, back to that. So, with, with uh, this previous market that we had, I know we're, we're seeing a shift. The, the power is slowly transitioning or has transitioned to the buyers. More and they more. Don't, they, don't, they don't realize it yet. Not yet, because they still have this idea of what it's supposed to be or what it was in their head. And right? most of the buyers I speak with, they want low rates and they want the home values to come down. It doesn't really work that way. <laughs> no. <laughs> so Pie in the sky, right? Yeah, so that's the whole premise of this podcast, to help educate, to help uh, inspire people mm -hmm. and uh, just have them realize that, hey, you know, maybe it's a good time for me to buy or maybe it's not. Mm -hmm. And then, but they come to terms and they make a decision. Exactly. So with going back to the contingencies, I know we were seeing 50, 60 offers on some homes in Long Beach. I think that's crazy. I think Inland one, Empire. I know we were definitely working together on a deal and we had like the, the listing agent told me they had like 21 offers. Like, how do you field any of that stuff to begin with? It's crazy. I mean, you have to oh, rank everything, and the idea is you submit them all to your seller so they get a chance to look at what's going on, and you kind of come, you know, draw the line somewhere and then counter some of them, say thank you to the other ones. But, I mean, to have that happen is just outrageous. I don't think we've – my parents and I talk about it a lot too. I don't think even my parents have experienced anything like that in their yeah, industry. It was, yeah, it was, it was a one-off one, a one for sure. It's definitely crazy. So I don't know if we'll ever see it again or not, but I've had other agents tell me that we're done with that. Hope it'll never come back again. I it's agree. stressful on everybody. But um, when you begin that process of, of house hunting, you have to make sure that you lead with your head and your heart. Yeah. A lot of people get overwhelmed with, this home is going to be gone and there's going to be no more mm -hmm. out there and I'm going to be so sad. And oftentimes the world works in mysterious ways. The universe leads you to where you need to be. So all those homes that you didn't end up getting as a buyer that you cried about at night, lead you to the home that you ultimately end up loving and is perfect for you. It's like dating. I always tell people, hey, it it's like, like kissing. So you're going to kiss so many frogs uh -huh. <laughs> until, until you, you find a prince, prince or princess. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but you begin that process and, and everything is done contractually. Right. So you have to make sure that all the, the processes are, are, it's almost like when you actually get an offer accepted, the time clock starts to tick, you know, on whatever you've designed for your offer. So my job would be as, as, as the real estate pro, as a person who's, helping you negotiate all of this stuff is that I have your best interests in mind from the very beginning, from when we write the offer, even from when we begin the house hunting process. Um, but when we begin that um, and we do the whole contingency thing, you know, you have to understand what an appraisal is, how it affects the fact that you made an offer on a home. And if you made an offer on a home for $500,000, but only gets appraised for four fifty, what happens then? Right. Or if it gets appraised for five fifteen or five twenty, then what does that look like for you mm -hmm. as a home buyer? Um, getting through that hurdle. And that can, people often think once they have that offer accepted, it's a slam dunk and they just walk the cake line. And it's not true because the appraisal can sink you again. And so can the, so can the inspection. Yeah. You might find something that you're not able to live with that you don't have the means to deal with. Because at some point in time, most first time home buyers give almost all that they can and sometimes a little bit more to get themselves into these homes. Yeah. So how are they going to deal with the mainline crack 
yeah. in a pipe. Yeah, how are they going to deal with foundational the issues or a foundation yeah. issues? They don't. They can't have the bandwidth. Sometimes you have to walk away because of that too. And there are again your contingencies. So the offer you write, you have to remember the timeframes that are involved. So it'll protect you. If you get to the point where you think I can't deal with that foundation issue, I need to pull my offer before I lose potentially my earnest money deposit, the money I gave, the skin in the game I kind of submitted to say, I'm serious, I want this home, it's gonna be mine, whether it be if you're on a, an FHA loan of you know 3% down, which is great, if you're gonna do the 20% route, which is something I always love, it's like the most ideal thing, if not more, you could lose whatever that amount of money's gonna be. So you have to make sure that you're paying attention and that you ask the questions. I find sometimes buyers are afraid to ask me things. They're like, oh, I don't wanna pester you, it's after five o'clock, and I get it, I really respect that, because. I start my day early. I mean, I get up, I'm up at like 4.30 some days and I get in the office by seven o'clock. And so by the time 5.30 rolls around, I'm tired. I've been on the phone. <laughs> I've been texting all day long. My battery is dead, but I'm never going to say no. I mean, it's my job. Right. Some people are like, oh, I'm afraid to talk to you. After. I'm like, no, never. Don't. Please do. I don't want you to keep yourself up at night. I don't mm-hmm. want you to be upset. Like, let's talk about it. And if the answer is we need to change what we're doing, we need to stop what we're doing. We've had that happen a lot. You've gotten so far in the game and it's like, oh, you're going to pull the plug now. Okay, start over. We've had it pulled like right at docks. We have pulled right at yeah, docks a couple but, of times. But you know what? It's it was to the buyer's advantage. It was, and that's why yeah. that's why I hope that we're doing our job and helping them understand the contingencies and the things that are involved. Right. You don't love the home, don't go through with it. You yeah. shouldn't. Don't feel obligated, especially if we haven't gotten to a point where it's dangerous. Right. You know what I mean. And so we will scary. never pressure or push our buyers. No, yeah, no, that's the last thing we'll ever do. They'll leave you. Yeah. And I've actually, and you've had this happen too. I've had buyers leave me, and I'm just kind of like. What did I do? What happened? You know, like, yeah. and I thought I did everything right. And maybe I could have said one thing. I, I could have maybe not answered one phone call. Someone was like, in my mind, what? And at the end of the day, it doesn't really matter. And the fact that it's not going to hurt me because, you know, lo and behold, like the universe like said, takes care of you. Someone else pops yeah. up I never dreamed of writing or interacting with. Yeah, we've, we've had a couple buyers. A lot of buyers just, you know, come and go. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, I always try to replay it. Yeah, <laughs> like, I know. You and I talk about that. You're like, yeah. what did I do wrong? You even comment, like, what happened? Yeah. Do you know more about this? And yeah. I give you whatever I can to give you more. And likewise, yeah. Because, you know, you know we, we we love what we do. and But like you said, sometimes yeah. it's not personal. It's, it's not just, personal. you know, in, in in my part of the <laughs> of the industry, they find lower rates. Uh-huh. And... 90, 95% of the time, buyers are driven by lower rates. They are. They're driven by, sometimes them, they've been driven by their pocketbook, which is also understandable. And I hope that when they see those things, that it's actually real. Because sometimes you get these advertisements in the mail, and so-and-so says they can do that. Well, yes, but do you qualify in that regard to get those incentives or those interest rates or whatever they're going to be? You know what I mean? Absolutely. So, yeah, you never know. But um, what was I going to say something about a buyer? Anyways. So regarding uh, the loan contingency, I know when the offers are initially uh, presented to the listing agent and the sellers, typically I get involved and I usually get calls from the listing agent. That's the idea. It should happen. From a good listing agent, they should call the mortgage broker for whoever is working with the buyer that they're going to end up choosing. To vet vet the buyer, buyers, of course. Mm -hmm. And I love having these conversations and I always give them my commitment. Hey, we can get this done in... X amount of days, yes. 12 days. And you're good. Days. Thank you. You are a good rate <laughs> for getting things done quickly. Thank you. And I also want to thank my my partners, my investors, HomePoint Financial. I have to. I would think you wouldn't be able yeah. to do it without them. No, no. Uh, very thankful. Uh, Delfo Emmanuel, he's my account executive. I want to give him props. He's like my my work pops. Nice. <laughs> he's guided good. me through I'm the glad. weeds. 
and he's helped me a lot. We need so, people like that. Yeah, and you gotta pay it forward. Yes, you do have to pay it forward. And so, without this, the partnerships, your your help, my team, Devin, Jenna. Thanks. I know. I got to meet everybody. Yeah. Pretty much. It's and cool. you know, Kevin, the camera guy. He's uh, my brother. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I, I appreciate the team that we have in place, and that's how we get it done. It's not one person doing no. this, or it's uh, collectively we help the buyer or buyers mm-hmm. close their escrow. And, and circling back to the listing agent uh, conversations that I have, giving them my word, it, my word is bond. Mm-hmm. And so I've had buyers come to me and say, "Hey, you know, I, I got a, a solicitation call from whatever blank lender." Oh, yeah. And they can get this done at a half a percent lower. I'm like, okay, great. But have you had a conversation with this lender or a broker asking them what their turn time is going to be? Because oh. the seller agreed to accept your offer based on the conversation that we had. And I'm not trying to bind the buyer to stay with me. No. However, the seller has the right to cancel, correct? Yeah, they do. If the buyer decides to switch lenders at the 11th hour. They can. They can. So that's, I do advice of those risks as well. And I say, you can do whatever you want. I'm not trying to strong arm you. No. And you have to understand what's, what's at stake. You know? Right. And if, if you make it, made a decision as a buyer to do something like that, and you've crossed a certain line in terms of your contingencies, you know, even with the loan contingency, I mean, you typically have 21 days in the state of California to get that stuff done. Um, the buyer can keep your deposit. You can say, I don't like this. It's 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 it makes me feel uncomfortable. We're gonna cancel it. And by the way, I'm gonna keep this from you too. So. Uh, going into that deposit, it's not truly theirs, right? It has to go through a process of yeah. arbitration, correct? So if somebody is gonna keep your deposit at the end of the day, it has to go through arbitration mediation first. And typically no real legal counsel can get involved because you've agreed to that when you've signed a contract. It's pretty much default, right? Yeah, it is pretty much so default. I'm pretty sure the seller will As not accept companies it. companies just don't give it up yeah. normally unless it was in writing. And sometimes I've had that happen before, but it's expressly in writing that you've made in either an addendum or in some sort of counter offer that come you know day 21, if day 22 arises and you haven't done so and so, the earnest money deposit, your deposit becomes mine. And at that point, it's more clear cut. And I've only had it happen once um, where that was like so easy. I've had it happen before where it wasn't easy, where there's a lot of muckiness. We, 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 extend, we surpassed our time frame. We even gave up all of our contingency releases. The buyer said, I, I'm good, I'm done. I'm, I'm, I'm releasing everything that I have laid claim to. But they still, after they did that, were not gonna give up their deposit. And the escrow was not just going to do it because they don't want to be stuck in a yeah, laundry, limbo. a limbo, right. or a, a legal problem. So they started the process, and we started the arbitration process. And it was like, you know, gunning up for going to war, pretty much. You know, everyone has to get things together. The, they'll reach out to you and say, collect all of your emails, collect all of your text messages, anything that leads to, you know, proof one way or the other. And, and it's a big deal, and it's stressful. You know, and you begin the process, and you go to something kind of like a podcast here. You know, you sit in a room. <laughs> um, and it depends. Sometimes you can sit with the opposing party, or most of the time it's in separate rooms, so no arguments ensue, or people can get weird and crazy. Um, but you go back and forth, and you're interviewed. They record what you're talking about. It's a mini deposition. It, it's a big deal, and it's so stressful. And and a lot of times it comes. Sometimes people try and do the he said she said thing. That's why it's important to keep most of your things if you can right. in, in in writing. So if you know it, it'll potentially get contentious. If you have the feeling, start start just communicating via text or email instead of phone calls that are not, are not recorded. And you can't record without anyone's permission. Right. Now, but you save those voicemails too. But 
Um, it's important, like you said, from the loan aspect too, to make sure that you have vetted everybody through the conversations with their mortgage brokers before you make a decision to choose them, to, to understand how the process will work, who these buyers are, because you don't really know who they are. Um, and, and they don't know who we are. Yeah, they yeah. Know who you are. And so they have to vet us more, as well. Yeah, give, give everybody more, a little more sense of security. Yeah. You know, especially in a market now that's changing where people are either not making offers or the offers they make get canceled. I have some showings coming up tomorrow and um, some of the places have been on the market for like over 30 days and some had offers at the get-go and then they walked away. Rates went up. Rates went up. And then it's like, oh no. So. And that's the thing. Most most buyers, they just don't know what their time frame looks like and some of them don't lock the rate. And I, it just depends on, on the buyers, of course. That could be dangerous too if you lock a rate too early. Yeah, I know you and I had a buyer a couple months ago and she wanted to lock her rate for, I think, three months. Mm -hmm. I said, it's going to cost you about six, $7,000 to do so. Sure, it would have been worth it. But at the same time, I said, these are the risks. Yeah. You decide if you want to basically put your skin on the game mm -hmm. or not. She decided not to. But at the same time, it's, it's buyer preference. There's that whole thing, too, about money. No one understands that these things do cost money. You know, the loans are not for free. Right. Um, it's interesting to watch... Um, the reaction that buyers get when they see the estimated closing cost sheet about all the cents and dollars that this transaction entails, you know? And I always love to talk to people about it. Maybe not always love, maybe dread it sometimes because it's hard to get individuals sometimes to understand what it's all about, especially when they are first-time home buyers. Exactly. The education pieces, you know, extremely important. And well. I think this is where, you know, our strategic planning comes into play with regards to requesting some seller concessions, some seller credits to help the buyer with yeah. closing costs. Mm -hmm. So they only come in with their down payment yep. or help them buy the interest rate down mm -hmm. with additional cash. And my previous podcast, uh, two podcasts ago, we talked about the the down payment part of it. Yes, yes. And again, the, the buyers are slowly getting that power back. And I think that the negotiation power will increase and the, the longer these properties sit mm -hmm. they have the potential right to request they do. it they do and it all depends on what position the seller of that property is in. that as well as so it will depend it, and it all comes down to negotiation totally so that's kind of we're going around and around in yeah. circles here but the idea of having a buyer's agent is important too because uh, if you go into an open house and decide to go with the person who's listing the home to represent you as well as the seller, you have to make sure they have that interest at heart, you know, to get the best deal for you, um, to make sure that they are respecting you and presenting what you feel to this seller. Um, and, and not that people don't. A lot of them do. A lot. Most agents do. But I see a lot of agents that kind of fall through the cracks because it's it becomes a lot of work, you know, to do both sides. And it's overwhelming. And you think to yourself, well, I started with this seller first. I'm going to make sure I keep their bases covered because I might be able to sell them, sell their home here and then help them buy their next home. And if I don't treat them in a certain way, they may not want me to do that. And so it's all these different thoughts that go on. But having someone to represent you truly on your side, and, and it can be someone dual agency, but I find that it's more challenging. It is. So someone new comes in the picture who's fresh, who's not connected to anything that any conversations it may have been having behind closed doors about this property that's on the market, you know, it's always, it's always good. It's nice to have somebody who's, I wouldn't know if I'd say bulldog, but someone who's a little bit more firm and who's kind of more of a go-getter who, who understands that they have nothing to lose by telling 
someone know yeah. or telling this is what we expect or we'd like to have this done. But at the end of the day, it's definitely all about negotiating and coming to terms on both sides, not just one side winning, one side losing. Although a couple, oh, couple months ago last year, that's how it felt to me. I was like, oh, God, you're losing. Like, you as my buyer, like, I, I, I think we should do this. I want to do that. But if you feel differently, I'll follow your lead. But just so you know, I want you to know we've had the conversations that way if it turns out differently differently you won't be surprised or upset or not understand why but cool if it takes that to get you what you want then let's do it but otherwise if i can do my job i will try and and get you know do all the things i can do on your behalf to make it a really reasonable nice successful transaction absolutely and and last year don't feel so much as a like, like a loser <laughs> it was tough for everyone yeah. you had to basically I'm a loser, but I was like, I want the best deal, right? <laughs> yeah. And if you give him, I think the home is worth this, we should only offer this, and we think and sit down, okay, that's good. And then I'll get a phone call or text like half an hour later, no, we'll give him the extra $5,000. Oh, okay, really? Okay, all right. And it always works out. It's, you know, and it's, but I'm like, okay, all right, we'll do it. You know? And there's different strategies too with the down payment, right? Or I'm sorry, not the down payment, the earnest money deposit. I believe oh, you yeah. can set gradual clauses as well. So you can say, I'll give you. Five thousand dollars to start, and as ten calendar calendar days go by, I'll give you another five, and then three days before escrow closes, I'll give you another five or whatever you know stuff like that too. Incrementally, as you move along in the process and things are kind of checked off your list mm-hmm. um, of accomplishments, and you can you know do that. Most people don't because I feel like sometimes they see it as a sign of weakness. If you have the money, why not give it to me now? Mm-hmm. Put your money where your mouth is, kind true. of thing, you know. It all depends on on the environment you're working in. That that is true. Doing. What about the? I think there's another escalating clause or something for the sales price. There's an escalation clause. Escal- is that what it is? Uh-huh. Okay. So, clause. for example, someone comes in with an offer of ten thousand over yours. You have your your escalation clause will match it. Mm-hmm. So you can set that up before you begin. So if you have a concern that this home is particularly popular, that it will receive a lot of offers. And sometimes what I found, and I don't know this to be true because no one's ever admitted to it, that if you might be one of the first people to submit an offer, agents will use your offer to play off of other people who may also be submitting an offer. So in order to safeguard your interest, you'll make an offer at $500,000, let's say. But in your offer, you'll write an escalation clause saying that if anyone comes to the table with an offer at such and such a price, you know, be it 505 or 510, I will beat that offer by $5,000. I'll beat that offer by X amount of money, and that's escalating the term. So even though someone it, someone might think, I've been the first to submit an offer, I know there's gonna be multiple people, I don't wanna lose it, you know, but I don't wanna overpay for it. So only if, if it gets to that point, will I then take more out of my pocket to offer for this property. Got it, so. And I've seen that happen on my end successfully a couple times, but more often than not, I feel always, it, I've always not had it be a winner for us, because. Sometimes it shows all your your hands, you know. Up front, yeah. Up front, if you're playing a card game, so to speak, you know. Uh, not every time, but most of the times, I feel like I, somehow we always get beat out by that extra twenty five hundred dollars uh, or that extra sixty five hundred dollars. Like, how did they know to do that? Okay. Yeah. Whatever. You know, maybe they're playing the same game too. Maybe they also have an escalation clause in their contract. So. I've rarely seen those, but yeah, they're out there. Yeah. Few and far between, but those are some examples of the non-traditional offer writing methods that exist. Right. But 
what are your forecasts for the next oh my six God. to 12 months? That's crazy. You know, I've had this conversation like the past <laughs> year about what this could possibly be. Yeah, we have. And I think that like you mentioned, you kind of have your help in this industry kind of pulling you through the weeds. I do, and I rely heavily upon my parents and their expertise. Not only have they been in many transactions throughout the number of years from the 80s, you know, the late 80s and the early 90s was a huge recession in terms of real estate. I mean, you could barely give anything away. You know, 1990, 91, 92, 93 was even a hard year. Um, and so I, I always kind of look to them. What do they, what do they think? Not only have they bought and sold real estate with other people, but they've done it for themselves. They're also real estate investors. So I'm kind of like, what, what do you think? You know, and your and all your experience and all of your years, you know, to kind of guide the young younger generations, younger people like me who doesn't have all those years of experience under his belt. And my parents have kind of told me they think that it's going to be changing. And I remember telling you that I thought November, October, excuse me, October of this year, November would kind of be a slower time period, and it seems to be coming to fruition. Um, I also think that by March of next year, it's going to be a huge outlook, big different outlook, I think, um, depending upon the outcome of the upcoming elections. Um, I work out with a friend of mine. His name is Kyle, and he's has a lot of investor friends that he talks to. He's also kind of does some of that himself, and he was telling me that he heard yesterday actually it was on Monday, that we're already in a recession. People talk about when it will it arrive. It's already here. So using those parameters, I kind of field the interest level I get from people I'm working with, phone calls, um, people that haven't yet um, kind of bit the bullet, so to speak, on buying a property, why they want to wait longer, what their ideas are are behind the process. So I, that's kind of what I use my, for my crystal ball method. So I think that March will be a different outlook. I think it would definitely will be more of 100% buyer's market. Don't quote me on that. <laughs> um, probably watch this later in March 2023. Um, and that there will be probably more homes on the market for sale. I think in California, especially Southern California, we're always going to have a very strong price point. Sure. Um, but I think that the days of the seller calling all the shots are going to be gone. I think also, too, our price points will match demand. So instead of a, an average home in the city of Santa Ana going for $850,000, might be more like seven fifty dollars sure. or six ninety five. dollars It's not a crazy amount of different, but it will be more realistic because at that point you have to match the offers on the homes with the interest rates to, to entice and appease buyers. They can, can, if a buyer was able to afford today $800,000, but at the interest rate of, you know, 6.875, would they rather not buy a home at seven hundred or six fifty, and still have that same interest rate, but get the home they wanted? Yeah, probably. You know, it, it's harder for them to stomach the eight hundred thousand dollar price at the six point eight seven five interest rate level when they can go down in price, get the same home, and still pay that interest rate. I usually find out, find from what I've been told from my parents, especially that people are more willing to do that kind of thing. So whether the interest rates climb or come down, that's yet to be seen. But I think that our real estate market will adjust to that, and prices will also reflect that too. And so. what we need is stability with the interest mm -hmm. rates. I mean, it's been like a roller coaster ride. It has. <laughs> it has, and unfortunately, I have I have some sellers that have had people pull out because the interest rates have changed, and then it changes their whole outlook on things, and it makes them upset because they hear on the news that the feds are going to raise them again. Like we're right around the corner in November for maybe another rate hike. So then if that buyer pulled out because of that 
who's going to come along at that point that will want to pay more? Well, that's a slight misconception know? as well that the news is portraying because they're talking about the Fed. But it worries people rate. like yeah. my sellers, you know, yeah. and it's like, what do you, how do you, how do you calm them when they're sitting at home, literally when they wake up in the morning and if they go to work or when they come home from work, turn the TV on again, CNN or whatever, spouting all this stuff and they just watch it. They're like, yeah. oh my God, the world's <laughs> going to end. Well, that, that Fed funds rate, it doesn't directly affect mortgage interest rates. It more... It affects credit cards, auto loans, mm -hmm. personal loans. That's what it affects. Uh, interest rates are mortgage interest rates are loosely connected to the Fed funds rate. So, basically, what the Fed funds rate is, and you know, people, you guys, can, us, that's what we're here for. <laughs> you guys can <laughs> can look it up online. It basically is what the federal the Federal Reserve Bank charges the other banks for, for money for money, right? So that's what it is. So. Their their interest rates are increasing, so mm -hmm. then they're you know, it affects the consumer. Sure, it does. But my my sellers don't always understand how that works, and so then they think to themselves, and they even say to you, "Should we lower the price?" I'm like, well, I don't know if lowering the price is going to. I mean, it could open up another uh, segment of people that didn't, weren't in that price bracket, so to speak. But by how much is the next question? Well, there's different strategies you as do well. That? You know, it might you can use... value your you know. Right. Uh, I, I had a conversation with another listing agent in uh, Big Bear. Ooh, yeah, Same, it's a different market. It's a there. completely different market, and her her sellers are, are concerned as well. And I I, I sug I'm a real estate broker, so I can discuss real estate. So I suggested for her to over here. <laughs> yeah, but I don't I don't I'm retired. I don't practice real estate <laughs> unless it's for special requests by family members. Yeah, that's the nice part. That's the nice thing. But it keeps me on my um, on my game as well. It keeps me sharp. You need to be with yeah. for that's how I can help my buyers as well, our buyers. So I suggested for her to offer some sort or suggest her seller to offer some sort of credits instead of lowering the price. Mm -hmm to entice some buyers to incentivize exactly so one percent two percent maybe three percent it just depends mm -hmm. so how much ask your seller how much do they want to lower the price by maybe keep the sales price intact and offer the same amount as a credit yes i like help. that a lot so it'll benefit the the buyer more than them paying ten thousand dollars less because they can use the ten thousand dollars and they feel like they're getting a deal at that point right mm -hmm. You know, I think that I love that kind of thing. And another thing is another concern that I've had with uh, with buyers and, and they've shared these concerns with me. It's OK, I buy a house and the home value drops. Sure. Mm -hmm. How long do you plan on being in this home for? Good don't question. don't see your home as an investment. See it as your roof. So if you plan on, on selling this home in two years, then maybe you should wait on purchasing a home because yeah. the market will definitely do this or do the roller coaster thing. Mm -hmm. So maybe you should hold off. But if you're not planning on selling your home within the next five to 10 years, don't worry about it. Take the plunge. Right? Yeah, get in. And guess what? If your property value drops, so do your property taxes. True. Your property will be reassessed. It's assessed every year. By how much? I don't know. The county assessor determines that. Yeah. So, another conversation. But <laughs> yeah, it's a completely different conversation. But your property taxes may drop. Uh huh. So that's. I That's think at, at that point, if, if if people are worried about that, and they are, if they're if the concern is that it's going to drop by so much, your rebuttal is is very valid. Other things will change that will affect that too. Sure, you know. Since 1953, I believe that's a date that the home prices have been recorded. Started being yeah, in the, in the yeah, U.S. historically. 
you start looking, and, and anyone can look at that chart online, and you see that, and we have our peaks and valleys, but the overall trend is upwards. Mm -hmm. In general. Yeah, even 2007, 2008, those prices didn't plunge to when this began. Again, we're recorded. in California, so you're never yeah. going to see prices here, especially where we live, that are going to reflect something like, you know, in Florida or Alabama. Yeah. You know what I mean? So that's I don't think I'll ever will get there. Different markets, different of course, markets, yeah. But people sometimes think, oh, it's going to drop like $300,000, and that's like, so extreme. I don't know if that's ever really going to happen. That would have to be another black swan effect, mm -hmm. uh, event, excuse me. Look it up. <laughs> <laughs> it's something that you can't predict or prepare for. No, that's out of the control of anybody. It's yeah. not foreseen. It's not on the radar. You know what I mean? So, yeah, that that those are my two cents. I really don't have a, uh, a forecast, a prediction. I say, yeah, what is your forecast? <laughs> yes, me, mine. Yeah. I don't know uh, if the lines, mine lines up with anything that you might be thinking or that might make any sense. I don't know. I, I truly think that 2023 will be a tough year for interest rates and... I'm not an economist, of course, so no. I, I don't know. This exactly. is just, yeah, this is just my, these are my two cents. But I, I don't think we felt the true effects of the rate hikes yet. Probably not. I, th I think it's like a ripple effect. Eventually, we'll feel it over the next couple of months. Mm -hmm. And I think we need to brace ourselves for what's coming. I can agree with you. So, And I, I part of that, I feel good in an essence and part of that because I thought that 2020 is my best year in real estate because things were just going crazy, you know, popping, popping, popping. And last year was a good year, but not as good as 2020. And this year has proven to be even better to my to my chagrin. I didn't think that was going to be the case. But I also feel good because a lot of my buyers I've been working with recently, I feel like I've gotten the best deal we possibly could have yeah, gotten. We have, that yeah, time. we have. And so when that when those issues come, if they do in 2023, I hope, and I think, and I feel good about the fact they're in a good, strong position. Absolutely. That we didn't lead them down any sort of rabbit hole where they couldn't, that the affordability was outside of their reach, but we still entice them to do it. You know, our our goals, I think you and I both are always, yes, you can afford that $900,000 place, but should you? Do you really want to? Yeah. You know? Um, let's look at your financial picture in a different light and think about the future, too. Um, so I, I feel good that if and when that something like that does happen, because I know it probably you're probably right. I kind of feel that, too. Next year will be kind of a tougher year. That nobody will hopefully be in super dire straits, especially the people we just helped I agree. get into brand new homes for their first time. Right. And, you know, there's always help. Lenders will yes. always help. And whoever is in need is a homeowner right now. Call your lender. They'll work with you. Doug is here for you. <laughs> <laughs> Future individuals that are thinking of buying, just, again, think about it. Position yourself. Yeah. In the, in, in, in a great state of mind, of course, mm -hmm. and prepare yourself financially. And I, we've had a couple podcasts as well with regards to about that credit as well. Mm -hmm. Credit's a big deal. Work on your credit, mm -hmm. and when you think the time is right, give us a call. I think so. Yeah, definitely. And you know why? Because it's free. Right? Exactly. It doesn't cost anything. And, and I like meeting people. That's part of my job. That makes it fun. Meeting new people, talking to new people, getting to know who they are, their perspectives. And I'm never bummed out. I mean, I'm bummed out, but I'm never like angry or upset if I never hear from you again. Yeah, exactly. Because sometimes the opportunity is also there for me to hone my skills, for me to talk about things, for me to answer questions maybe I haven't answered for a long time or thought about recently. So it's also good, like I think all all, all the way around. Exactly. Yeah. All right, David. Thank you very much for yeah, coming it's over. Yeah, pleasure. It's fun. I like coffee it. with pros. Thanks. <laughs>